Hi, I'm Stacey Schumacher-Rowan, Editor-in-Chief of Hospitality Design Magazine with HD's What I've Learned podcast. Today, I was joined by someone who truly needs no introduction, actress-turned-designer Anushka Hempel. Anushka is a singular talent known for blending luxury with individuality. The former Bond girl and HD Platinum Circle honoree made her mark on the hotel industry in 1978 when she opened the Blakes in London a new kind of lifestyle hotel that she describes as a home away from home. From the Hempel Hotel in London and the Sixth Senses Duxton in Singapore to her latest, the Monsieur George in Paris, Anushka says her designs flourish because of the people who populate the space. It makes sense for someone who says she loves every aspect of the process, whether she's designing a pencil, a window, or a garden. You don't start out making money, she told me. You start out being the artist with a dream and then go and do it and hope for the best. So Anushka, we're so excited to have you here today. Um, We always start the podcast with uh, where you started. So where did you grow up? In Australia, but I never did grow up. You know that, that's the problem. So Australia, the Antipodes, New Zealand, Australia, um, New Guinea, all the way around there, we were part of that sort of um, pioneering vision of my mother and father at the time. And here I am. Were you always, were you a creative person growing up? Yes, I was. I was a pain in the neck and got sent to boarding school very early on because I upset everybody else. (laughs) It's true. It's sent away at six because I used to count the eggs on the table, line them up and be just apparently very difficult. (laughs) My preconcept of how life should be at that stage of the game. And you've got three other little daughters underneath, you know. And my poor old mother was having a bad enough time to make ends meet, let alone having me being, I don't know, slightly odd, I think. Anyway, it wasn't as bad as it sounds. It was fine. And I loved going to boarding school. My education was at boarding school in Sydney, a fantastic ladies growing up school, a very elegant and proper and posh, and everybody came from everywhere. So people from the islands who used to who, who grew up in um, the Solomon Islands or Fiji or anywhere around there ne- couldn't have a proper education, who were from a colonial background, were sent to this amazing school in Strathfield, and we all met each other. We all grew up together, and I think I knew every bit about those kids more than I knew about my own family, and that set my imagination going, you know, because when you're very young and your mother said this and your father said something else, the other chap died in a boat trying to get a whale, and the other one got a spear through his nose, and the other one got a boomerang in his head, or whatever our stories were. I think that's where my inspiration came from. And um, where was yes. this boarding school? Strathfield, Sydney, okay. northern suburbs, frightfully grand. And everybody watched each other's mother coming up and down the thing to take you home and take you in. And it was always interesting to see how all the old ladies dressed or the young ladies dressed. And thank God we had a school uniform because you could be poor or rich or whatever you were. And I really believe in a uniform for when you're little. I know I digress a bit, but it really is important because all you do is can stand out with your personality. Nothing else. Nothing to do with your shoe. Nothing to do with your mask. Nothing to do with clever sneakers or the size of your pants or any other blooming thing because you're all the same and you've got to be within that uniformity of growing up you had your own personality shining through or not as the case may be and when I look at all the kids now going to school and they're all 
know, one mother's got more money than the other mother and the backpack's better than the other one's thing. I mean, it's amazing how those things kind of stick and stay. Yep. For sure. And were you always trying, besides like the eggs, did you continue kind of reorganizing things and loving designing? Oh, yeah. yes. We absolutely used to put the stools in a row and open the door at the right amount of light and the blind was always up or down at the right spot, according to me, that is, was, rather. And I should think it was pretty painful having me around. Yeah, I was busy. Was fun. Fun at the same time. Yeah, I, I hope. <laughs> I think apparently there were moments. Um, and what did you do after boarding school? Did you go, was that when you headed to London? I worked in... Um, a psychiatric um, base for a little while. Then I came straight to London. And this is where I started my real career, I think, was over here. Okay. Well, I haven't had one except here. And what brought you to London? Why London? Because I could only speak English. That's why. I don't know what I was going to be doing in Athens or Italy or whatever. And most young Aussies who didn't have another language always came to England. I loved the whole feel of England. I loved the green. I used to read all those magazines. I used to look at all the... Um, the film stars that came in and out of London and the Miss Taylors and the Richard Burton's doing whatever they're doing at the time. I thought, oh, look at that green tree, look at that road, look at that thing, look at that bumper bar, look at that car, look at look at look at this, look at that. And we were kind of isolated in Australia, or I thought I was. I don't think I'd be now, but when I was very young, I felt I had to go, I had to get out. And London in particular, England was for me. Love it. And how did you end up in acting in the film world? Oh, somebody met me in the street and said, you've got a pretty face. I said, oh, like one does, a pretty face. I said, yeah, okay. He said, would you like to do a Cadbury's Flake? I don't even know what Cadbury's Flake is. So when I found out what Cadbury's Flake was, in the shop with him. And he said, I'd like to meet you in three days' time at Asbury's. You've got exactly the sort of face that I want. I said, what sort of face is that? He said, well, you look a bit like Julie Christie. You look a bit like Bridget Bardot. You can be somebody in the middle. I said, well, that's okay. That's good going. That's really good. Thank yeah. you. That's really kind. Anyway, turned up at Asprey's. I did the interview. I did the whole thing for them. And it was absolutely was good fun. I thought, gosh, they get the hang of this. I got paid an, an astronomical amount of money. And the guy was for real. I apparently was for real. And his name was Robert Hughes. I remember at the time. I became a famous uh, Australian director. And the early days, and um, we got started, really. I was just very lucky. Yeah. You read about those stories, don't you? What are you going to do? Well, there's mine. <laughs> what was it like being a Bond girl? I couldn't give you a hoot about being a Bond girl. I've been, forever been ducking and diving. That was fun, though. Really good fun. A lot of fun in my life, but a lot of great people. And that kind of introduced me to how I could possibly be as somebody running a hotel or doing something different to everybody else at the time. Right. And that's how it all got started. So meeting people, uh, people saying to me, there's nowhere to stay in London, Anushka. There's nowhere. You either go to the Dorchester store or you're in a flea bag, bed and breakfast down in Earl's Court. There's nowhere in between. I kept thinking, I'm meeting all these fantastic people who are giving me huge amounts of advice. What can I do? So I got cracking. So how did you transition from film into design and hotels? I don't think you have to transition. I think you can do it or you can't do it from early on. We have a lot of little posts on the way about what makes you you and your experiences, and you bring it all together. And one, I think, does it throughout one's life. 
not a transition, it's a continuation. I mean, and what did you take from your lessons in film into your world of design or or I don't know. Smile a lot. Don't style. Be kind. Be nice. Whatever it was I had to do. And just, just bring the whole thing of your own personality into the into your own place and be yourself within it. Tell us about Blake's. How did that come about? What did you want to create? I wanted to create what I created. I um, bought the buildings um, from a very kind, with a loan from a very kind bank manager at the time. In the days we could chat up bank managers. And I promised him that he'd get the first payment and the first, whatever it was, lent me the money, thought about it, dreamt about it, did it, opened it. It grew with me. I grew with it. We grew into a rather funny sort of a legend of, um, again, for the people that I was meeting in my industry of acting, such as it was. But basically, we made all the money in the beginning, for me anyway, came from the commercials that I made. Um, and they were the big money spinners at the time. So my savings and my world was poured into, with my heart I had, into Blake's in those days. It became my home, my energy, my spirit. Children grew up there. I, we, we all just lived there, lived through it and kept on going. So it was a pretty nice environment created. And I am not very good at the kitchen sink. And I thought I'll never be at the kitchen sink particularly, which was the life of my darling mother. And I wanted to be free. But have a sort out and live in a, you know, the way I thought I wanted to live and have somewhere to be living it. And that was there. And then home, then Addison Road and da-da-da and off it goes. What do you think attracted people to Blake so much? I mean, what was it that you created that? Well, dare I say me? Well, yes, besides you. You deserve that. <laughs> <laughs> As a housekeeper, I was the um, turn-down girl. I could clean your shoes. I could hang your you shut up, I could put it out again in the morning, I could take your money and give you the right change and whatever it was. Your personality came out of the other people knowing. The other people became a destination, a place for people to throw their ideas together and become very, very creative. So it became, with, with me steering it, it just became um, kind of funny kind of sanctuary for people who are creative and who didn't want to be in the normal run-of-the-mill end of the world and they just all liked each other anyway so they all went there and it happened do you have like a favorite memory of being there with you know was it the opening was it just being in the room you know with everyone coming in what i opened i opened it not knowing who the people were going to come and it was a busload of a manchester football people who turned up and i said i was full i was completely empty i stood at the door i thought i can't take this i can't can't do this this is wrong. I've got this wrong. I stood there and said, you know, I've made a terrible mistake. I've got hotels completely full and I'm so sorry. I suggest you go around the corner to number 55A Barkston Square. It wasn't a hotel. They all turned up there and rang the doorbell. This woman said, who sent you? I had sent them and they said so. Then she came around and there was a big argument went on. In the meantime, the bus load of real old devils, they were all rather sozzled at the time. I really got a fright. I thought, I can't can't cope with this and they went and found somewhere else i think they ended up at the holiday and lots of funny things like that there was never a real opening it was just word of mouth and it just sustained itself by the great and glorious clients and customers and of course obviously friends uh, at the time right um was there a favorite part of working on the blakes or something that you know or working the Blakes, something that kind of sticks with you? 
everything. I designed it, built it, did it, put the people in it, looked after them. So everything was to do with everything we do. Rosalind's telling me to talk to you about moving the furniture around. What nonsense. <laughs> Isn't me out? He took all the furniture out, took it out of the room, put it in the hall. We all had to jump over it while he slept on the floor on a rubber mat. We had lots of weirdos like that. Okay, she's quite right to remind me of this. And then we had a terrible pop singer. He wasn't terrible, he was just peculiar. And he was a bit like Boy George of our day. And he came down, he had a big basket and he said, I'm very sorry, but I have to ask you for three pillows because I my guest tonight is a snake. And he opened the top of the basket. It was this huge python. We all nearly died, but he stayed. His name was Alice Cooper. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So Alice Cooper and friends, we had in and out and the John Gallianos and the fun and the laughter and the noise of weird and wonderful, extraordinary people. And then the very stuffy, very kind of um, laid back business people would turn up with their little whatever it was. And we had a fantastic mixture in an environment that was always fun, I hope, and really fantastic stuff. And I owe my success to the people who helped me run it, helped me do it, and continued with it through ups and downs and just kept there. And we just opened up. You know, we at nights you could go and have supper at 11.30 midnight and you could stay till 3. That was unheard of in London. Right. And that became a kind of a place you'd go to the theatre, but you could stay all night as well and have dinner with us. Then, of course, you could stay. and Then you'd have breakfast at midday or 1 o'clock, whereas in other places it was all regimented. We were free. We were spontaneous, and I think that spontaneity helped the procession. Yeah, for sure. And how did the Hempel Hotel continue that vision or expand on what you wanted to create? Oh, it didn't. It was completely different. It was completely to do with my architectural um and I, aesthetics at the time. I'd done the blakes. I'd done all my business. I'd hung everything up and down and inside out and round about and had a wet of a time. And I've always had an architectural um, eye for things, I think. And I just decided that really I would like to do something where the architecture stood out more than the things that I was putting about the place. I had to concentrate very, very heavily and very, very charming Australian architects. And I worked myself silly for that because that was an architectural expression. But you could still see it was under one hand. It was under the one guys, the one the one me, which was maybe what I have to do. If I let go of anything and somebody else interferes, it goes wrong. Yeah. So there's a lot of dedication, a lot of discipline went into that. And for the five years that I ran it, opened it, ran it for the Japanese, it was a huge success. And after that, um, as various other people got involved in it, I felt it was time to say thank you, world, for being so great to me on that experiment, and they did, and I left it be. So ever since then, all the other hotels I've done around the world, I've taken the expression and environment of the city more to heart than I have done before. So if I'm in Singapore, I'm with the Singaporeans. I'm with the food. I'm with the Chinese. I'm with every single thing you can think about decorating and designing and smelling and being in Singapore to heart, regimented maybe, and safe and sound maybe, but with the same experiences, um, a little bit more spirit of, of the culture because the culture of the Hempel was very, very strong and very straight. You just didn't you just didn't make a mess. You just took your bag with you and you put it away, you know. And whereas in Singapore, I'm encouraging it's a little bit looser. You go to Paris, I'm fine. I'm working with the uh, Moroccan city. 
think that Paris owes an awful lot to the north of Africa, which my lovely um, owner believed in and used to stay with me, Blake's, said, yes, get on with it, just do it. So you've got the oasis of Morocco, of Marrakesh, but the mixture of the whole of the fusion of the food between the French and the North African. And I always like to say that, you know, the French were very lucky. They were very close and they were very much influenced by it. They don't recognize it so much in, in, in their aesthetic and as their, their combinations of things, which has been an outsider I did. And apparently everybody seems to like it. So that's going well. And then in Franklin, London, it was a, I pretended to be a very, very rich English woman with a lot of, lot of Italian lovers that came in and out and I decorated the rooms around when I'd read a book to them. I'd educate these young chappies who'd play the violin and read the newspaper to me. And so I had a romantic, I have romantic delusions and illusions everywhere I go. That's great. But that's the story behind each hotel. Yeah, have to have a story. Otherwise, what's it for? Just make some money. It's not in my remit that. Right. I'm not saying that, had I? <laughs> you don't start out making money. You start out being the artist with a dream and then go and do it and hope for the best. Love that. And so what's far? your favorite part of the process? Is it the beginning? Is it the, you know, feeling out the building and figuring out what you want to create? Is it the opening? What's your favorite part? It just happens immediately. The idea of what you're going to create is the excitement of the whole thing. How you go about it is how you go about it. It's so I don't say favorite anything, you know. It doesn't come like that to me. The dream comes in the middle of the night, I get up, and I do it. And that's the thing, knowing what you're going to do right in the beginning. Whatever concept you have, you're true to the concept, true to yourself, and let it expand and then let it grow. So there's no favorite part sitting somebody down and having a cup of tea and he's read a book on, you know, Winston Churchill or the other one who's got a fedora hat in the corner. Or It's nothing to do with that. It's creating the atmosphere very quickly and then having the continuity and the ability and the deep, fantastic people around you to do it. So the favorite part perhaps is just seeing it flourish and grow. And how do you stay inspired or where do you find inspiration? By seeing more and more things around me that I really don't like, that I really am not inspired by, gives me inspiration to get cracking again, get going, and I get on with it. So that's how it happens. And our next project will be Chile um, in Santiago in um, South America, um, where I've been working on a wonderful um, hotel for the last two or three years. And because of COVID, and Sachinda Gacha, who owns it, who's our owner in the Duxton Reserve, in Singapore, whom I've worked with in New York and his home and borrowed lots and lots of things for him, is reinstating this extraordinary development of Two Cities Hotel next to the cathedral in Santiago. So that will get itself starting in October. The dream is as I saw it in the beginning. The concept is still there, and I want to create the concept into the reality. Probably February next year, we might be there. That's amazing. And for the Hempel Hotel, I mean, you- your use of all whites and grays. I mean, that was such a, you stepped outside of the box back then when you did that. So, I mean, what was it that you wanted to experiment? I know it was an architectural gesture, but what was it about just having this beautifully kind of pristine look? I'm pretty good at being different. So that was the idea at the time. That's what I was seeing. That's what I was feeling. And that's what I did. And there's no particular reason for it. It was the shadow in my mind and the whiteness of the light and whatever I was thinking at the time, which was um, 
probably distilling um, all the bits and pieces and going to the future and striding into the future in a very different kind of way, that's all, which is an expression of what I did then. And what I'm doing now is an expression of now. And I should think in about three years' time, I would come up with something like a big black hole, okay? <laughs> so watch out. What do, what's your style at home? I mean, what, what do you... What do you bring? Or like- oh, anything I can find, I shove it together and I put it around the corners with all the leftovers of this, that, and the other. And um, I wouldn't say it's the most comfortable place in the world because I think um, beauty comes before that. But hopefully I can mix beauty and comfort together, which seems to be the do go with everybody lying down. And um, I like tables and chairs. I like sitting upright. I like working and thinking upright. Um, I'm not sloppy by nature. So I'm probably quite difficult to live with, but it's we seem to manage. That's great. Is there something you haven't designed that you want to design? Anything on your bucket list? Oh, I don't know. I need an aeroplane. I need a drone. I want to design a drone. I want to go up in a drone. I want 40 rooms in a great big drone. I want to leave the city airport. I want to shoot straight up. I want to go laterally straight over. I want to get to Marrakesh. I want to have 40 wonderful suites inside a drone where you can travel with me and I'll travel with you. And when you get out, you just press a button and the slide comes out of your door. You take your Louis Vuitton suitcase into the desert and there waiting beside you is a wonderful shake of Araby or whatever. And off you go into the desert for a trip with your 40 friends. I don't know, 40 or 80 or 90. I wouldn't know about the logistics of money. Okay, but you don't have to do it from city to city. You can do it from city to the desert, city to the coast, city to somewhere else. It's the taking off is the problem and then going sideways the rest Okay, coming down is nothing. So I'm going to do a drone hotel and I'm going to make a special and it's going to be ergonomically nuts and it's going to be glorious and you can go anywhere and it'll be the way to travel very soon. Drones have the future, okay? They were named after a lazy old bee who took his time to get up there, but when he did, he just kept going and that I could drone on. So what we always end this pod on uh, the the name of the podcast uh so what has been your greatest lesson learned my greatest lesson learned is i still got so many lessons to learn perfect always learning love it well thank you for doing this call me anytime thank you Anushka. thanks for listening to hospitality designs what i've learned If you like what you've heard, subscribe and review us on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can find full episodes and transcripts at hospitalitydesign.com.